Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Randy, how's it going? Hey, Jake, I am doing fabulous today. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I'm actually very excited because we have a new guest. We're starting a new journey today. Yeah, me too. And it's hard to know where to even start with this person. So this person is an amazing ambassador for the sport, has amazing history, multiple FPA titles, an amazing overall player, and uh, definitely a future Hall of Famer for sure. I have a deep personal history with this person, and I know you, Jake, you may even have a deeper personal history with this person. Yeah. So with that, I would like to welcome Lori Daniels to the podcast. Welcome, Lori. Welcome, Lori. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor to be invited to the podcast. Well, it's an honor to have you join us. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this journey goes, considering how well we both know each other. And uh, obviously, Jake, you're married to her. So yes, I think Um, I know I may know the answers to all of these questions. But I'm really curious. It's a little bit like the the wedding, the wedding game, that game show where you see how well you really know your partner. (laughs) We're going to find out right now with how well I really Uh, know. (laughs) It was the old 1970s newlywed game. Newlywed game. (laughs) Exactly. So with that, why don't we begin this journey with you? So we're going to start with the first question that we ask everyone, and that is, how did Frisbee come into your life? I was thinking about that, right? Because I've told this story over and over again, but it sort of gradually entered my life. I think a series of choices that one makes ends up resulting in it, it becoming much more of my life. So uh, I liked street frisbee, and I had a blue, one of those turquoise blue Whammo 141 molds. And right after high school, uh, my grandfather had just passed away, literally the day after I graduated high school in 1980. And my grandmother was alone for the first time in pretty much all her life uh, in Columbus, Ohio, where my father is from. And I opted to go visit my grandmother to keep her company for about three weeks because I just graduated high school. I anticipated going to college in a few months. I had this time free. I proposed it to my parents and they allowed me to fly over to Columbus to keep my grandmother company. And in that three weeks, uh, I made some friends uh, and we also had some family friends And one of family friends, he said, oh, you have a Frisbee, let's play. And so I remember playing street Frisbee for like an hour in front of my grandmother's house in Columbus, Ohio. And he taught me how to skip the Frisbee off of the street, right? And I'd never known that you could do that. So I remember just loving that throw, catch, throw, catch, throw, catch, throw, catch. And then um, a few months later... I ended up at starting college in Fredericksburg, Virginia at Mary Washington College. And it was in the spring of my first year at college. This is the year 1980, academic year 1980 to 1981. And so it's my second semester. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous spring morning in Virginia. And I was deciding to take advantage of the fact that there was a sunshine and it was warm outside. And I didn't want to do my homework indoors in the library or in my dorm room. So I went outside to the front porch 
of my dormitory. So Mary Washington College, where I uh, went to school, is this old colonial style, beautiful architecture, right? So I'm sitting underneath this huge column, right? And the big stairs that go uh, in and out of the dormitory. And I'm sitting at on one of those stairs in the sunshine and something catches my eye from my book. And it's a disc. It's a Frisbee that's coming from somewhere. And it comes from my right to my left and kind of lands not too far from me. But it's the first time I've ever seen that, right? There's no thrower. I couldn't see a thrower. <laughs> and there was no, no one there to catch it. It was just this Frisbee that came flying from my right to left. And so I was, while I was pondering what, what was going on here, where this came from, a second Frisbee comes flying pretty oh much God, in the same direction. There's two aliens showing <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. And then the third... And then a fourth, again, the same thing, no thrower, no catcher. But these Frisbees are like kind of in front of me. Uh, about a moment later, these four guys, these guys walk by and, uh, and they're all wearing these bags, like these purses. And they just come kind of casually walking up to each of the discs. And then they pick up the discs and they throw them further to the left. And further to the left is a, a dried up fountain between the dorms. And after they threw, I can't remember if somebody had looked at me and had seen me watching or I had asked the question, but chances are I asked the question because I'm just inquisitive. And so somebody was talking to me about, oh, this is Frisbee golf. And I said, what is Frisbee golf? And, you know, the usual <laughs> shtick that disc golfers uh, explain there, we're heading over there. We're going to, we're going to throw to a target and it's the fountain. And then I think that they invited me to watch them play out the hole. So, uh, you know, when you're an 18 year old and you're new, uh, what what better idea is there to follow four strange men into an isolated area of campus? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but anyways, broad daylight, people around. So I said, okay. So then I followed these guys over and watched them put out on the lamppost. And then I watched them tee off from the uh, fountain area back out into the more open part of campus. So uh, here's my question is, who were those four guys? I was about to say one of the guys I think was Hugh Lowry, because Hugh Lowry would be the person who uh, would engage a new player, because that's what he did at Virginia State. He told me, they said, we're, we're part of the Virginia State Frisbee tournament that's here. They gave me a little history and they said, yeah, you should come and watch us. You know, we're having freestyle over at the gym, Gulrich Gym. I'm pretty sure that I must have gone there and watched the freestyle. And that was probably one of my first times ever actually seeing Frisbee enter my, it really literally entered my life. And then, um, Probably sometime very soon afterwards, I lived on campus. I was a dorm rat, as they say. I lived all four years of college on campus. And so um, the dining hall between where I lived and the dining hall was this large circular field um, that Virginians know well as called Ball Circle. And it's because it's a it's a circular field that's between all of these dorms and it makes this beautiful green space that uh, college students hang out at. And it's also where the Frisbee players congregated. And so I was coming to and from the dining hall one night and I saw these two guys in the middle of ball circle doing all of these crazy things with a Frisbee, all these tricks, right? They were rolling it from one arm to the other. 
they were catching it behind their head. They were catching it underneath their leg. And I stood there for, I don't even know how long, probably several minutes, just watching them and trying to understand what they were doing. This is all spring of 1981 when I'm literally getting introduced just by seeing it around me. I just want to get a little more context here, too. So Hugh Lowry had mentioned to you about the Virginia States tournament. So that was Mm -hmm. 81. Mm -hmm. And so when was the first Virginia States tournament? Ever. Was that like 77 or something? I think it's 70. Well, uh, Snap Conger and I debated this um, not too long ago. I have always thought it was 1976. So that would give at least five, six years of it being in existence. So they had they were well established as a club and the tournament going as you were entering this group. So I just wanted to kind of get some context of the timing and stuff. So there you are. You're seeing these jammers for the first time in ball circle it wasn't even uh, called jamming back then either it was just freestyle no the word jamming what didn't exist and 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 those two people i believe were eric wooten and scott zimmerman no way (laughs) really yeah they were practicing for their routine eric wooten and scott zimmerman were playing and that was 81. So I think that was the year that they went to the Rose Bowl as a team and they made it to the final four in 81. If not 81, it was 80, but somewhere in there. So that's pretty wild that you were watching some incredible history taking place right in front of you at that time. Yeah. And had no idea. I mean, they were good. I knew they were good. And I knew that I would never in my life be able to do that with a Frisbee. I remember having that thought, like that was just so amazing. Gosh, I don't think I'll ever be able to do that with a Frisbee. And and it might not have been during the Virginia States weekend. It could have been a few months later, a couple months later, or maybe even before they went to the Rose Bowl. But, uh, But I didn't know these guys, right? And so then somewhere in there, again, you know, college is very, was, my college experience was very impressionable on me. I mean, it literally changed my life. I mean, not everybody can say that about their uh, college experiences, but I can certainly say that because this is when Frisbee kind of came in and, and infused itself into to everything I do. Uh, but two of my friends from college, Bob Wing, Paul Hobson, and a third friend, Kent Burkle, they, we were all freshmen together at Mary Washington. And all three of those guys uh, were part of my social circle at Mary Washington, and they started playing Frisbee. And so because I was friends with them, because we were all part of the same little pod, they started inviting me to to play because I, I was genuinely interested. Kent Burkle says to me at Ball Circle, because they all started hanging out at Ball Circle, and they were learning to freestyle. And so I was hanging out with them. And Kent pulls me out and he says, come here, do you want to learn? And I said, yeah, I want to learn. He said, well, good, because I need a mixed pairs partner for a tournament (laughs) maybe one day. So so I'm going to teach you how to nail delay. And so he stood there like, and we did this over the course of months where he just spun it up in the air clock and and then would hand it to me. You know how you know the training process, right? Spin up, hand it, hand it, hand it, hand it. And then and then somewhere during my uh, sophomore year, because now it's like second year of college, uh, I decided to take a gymnastics class. And part of the reason was because I had seen a picture or I'd seen somewhere somebody doing a cartwheel with a Frisbee. And I decided that that's the trick I wanted. And so I took this gymnastics elective 
and I worked on strengthening my two-handed cartwheel, and then I worked on strengthening a one-handed cartwheel. And then, of all people, Hugh Lowry was the one who said, I think this is how they do this set on their hand. They set or delay it, and they push it up into the air, twist their arm around, and then bring it under their arm while they're doing the cartwheel. So I realized that he he had given me sort of the arm movement of the hand that wasn't being used for the cartwheel. And so I started putting those things together and that's how I ended up. I worked for a long time on mastering the one-handed cartwheel. And so it, like it, the whole thing kind of exploded, right? right? Right. And because because Mary Washington was mostly women because of the name of the university, a lot of Males did not realize that Mary Washington was a co-ed school, so they didn't like they didn't apply to that school. So the proportion of women to men was about four women to one male. By entering the frisbee world, I started playing ultimate. I learned disc golf. I was working on my freestyle game, uh, and then eventually I learned the field events. But all of that happened within a like a year. I went from first exposure to being really, really into it and wanting to learn everything. And that particular decision also ended up shifting the the male-female ratio in terms of my social life because most of the people playing Frisbee, if not all of them, were men. I was the only woman at the time who was like really actively learning. Now, Erin Hart, who was a classmate of mine, who some people know, she actually also started learning more disc golf but she was definitely more in the social part and less in the Frisbee part, but she could do both. Um, I was more in the Frisbee part and less in the social part, although I could do both. So Hugh is taking me out to Old Mill Park in Fredericksburg, and he's teaching me MTA. And they're uh, teaching me uh, distance. And, and so some different people would come out and we would learn things. But I was like, I, I only remember myself as being like the only female and maybe I'm not remembering correctly, but it felt like I was definitely only one person. And even on the right. ultimate team, the Fredericksburg ultimate club mothers, I was one of two women on that, on that ultimate team. Wow. So, uh, so it just became really a big part of my college experience. And so my first tournament was Virginia States, 1982. In 1982, I only competed in freestyle. I didn't feel confident enough or I hadn't learned the other events well enough to feel like I could compete. And then 1983, Virginia States, and that got confirmed by Corey on the Virginia States uh, Facebook page that I competed in all the events. Now, back in the early 80s, people weren't specialists, right? You've heard this over and over again from other interview interviews on the podcast. So we were all Frisbee players. So if you were if you were doing one thing, you were doing them all. So it's it's interesting to me that in 1982, you only did freestyle. And I've always thought of freestyle as the hardest one to just step out there and do. Like I can throw a disc up in the air and get an MTA. I may not be good at it, but I can go out and do it. But freestyle takes a lot of practice. So how what was it that got you into freestyle enough that you felt comfortable going out in front of everybody? Um, it's the most like dance. And I really like dance. I just like the music and the dance part of it, right? And then when I watched in my first Virginia States, I saw women freestylers for the first time. So this whole journey 
for over a year, I was the only woman. <laughs> I didn't meet any other women um, because I actually didn't go to Bull Run or North Carolina or Octad. I'd heard about these other events, but I was a Virginia State competitor, probably because of economics, right? I'm a college student. I'm only 18, 19 years old. I, I don't have any money. And so I did not meet a lot of the women for a really long time. So it sounds like you were freestyling a lot with men, and you knew there were women freestylers, but you hadn't seen them for a while. When you first saw them, what was the impact on you? Awe. <laughs> A-W-E, awe. I was in awe. Mandy Carrero, and I think it was Lori Zanicki were the first uh, women freestylers. The women were playing with men partners, right? Uh, not always in a women's division. So I know that Mandy would play with Harvey Brandt. And Lori Zanicki, I can't remember who she played with. But what it was, was it was just fascinating to see their style of play. Because the men were trying to coach me in such a way, but they couldn't coach me like a, a woman can coach, right? Because the body mechanics are so different, right? And the style. And then somewhere I would see videos, right? I'd see how graceful Kate Dow looked when she played, or Gina Sample, or Stacy. And Carolyn, right? I mean, they were they were amazing, and they were smooth. I mean, the smoothness and the gracefulness, and just the uh, the arabesque kind of aspect of it was just. I was really drawn to that because I just thought it was so beautiful. I didn't care necessarily how hard the trick was. It was just so pretty to watch. Again, in the East Coast there was not a lot of women freestylers that I was connecting with. I didn't travel until 1984, which was the first time I ever went to a non-Virginia States event, which was the North Carolina States. And then a few years later, I made it to Octad. And, and somewhere in there, I was also competing in Bull Run. And these are all well-known East Coast uh, Frisbee overall events that freestyle was a part of. And so I just had to build my repertoire and my skill set and then and, and my confidence, of course, because that's a big deal, to be able to feel like I could take this a little bit on the road. So when you went to Octad, were you seeing the women jammers on the East Coast like Suzanne Strait or Jane Englehart? Were they still in the game at that point? I'm Who pretty sure they were. But, you know, I was pretty shy around freestylers. I mean, I could really relate to the newer freestylers being uh, like sort of like taken aback by the skill and the talent of highly skilled freestylers. So I probably met Sue Strait and Jane. So, I mean, I can relate to Lori because I remember the first time when I was coming onto the scene, I was totally like in awe and intimidated. And also I was a little bit younger. And so these new jammers to me were older and, uh, you know, couldn't quite relate to them on just a personal level, but on a skill level, I was just like, there was no way I could just like walk up to them and say, Hey, you want to play or hi, I'm Randy. Or, you know, just kind of <laughs> sit on the sideline and, you know, just kind of look there with my jaw on the ground. Yeah, that, that was absolutely my scenario. I mean, I, I hung out with my Virginia state people, right? I would just sort of hang with them. We'd sit on the same blanket area, right? We, and watch, and I just watch people, but, and, and then and maybe I would go out there and play, but I would, I would, you know, it's scary, right? Mm -hmm. It's scary when That's you scary. have these super, super talented people right there um, around you. And so if I had met them, it was like, hi, nice to meet you. And then I'd probably skittle off, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, I oh my God, she smoked to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I can really relate to that feeling of you walk into this new jam and there's these really great players and I don't feel like I belong here. I'm really intimidated. I can't talk to them. And so it's amazing when they come up and actually just welcome you into the jam. So my story is... Um, so I used to have this little jam community in Santa Rosa, and um, one day, I don't know, I'd been jamming for two or three months maybe, and Mike, who is kind of the leader of our community, he says, we're going to San Francisco for a jam with a bunch of other people who are there. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I jump in his car. We go to San Francisco to Golden Gate Park. There's all these jammers there. This is one guy who can do a upside down delay and then psycho bash it, but keep it on his nail. I'm like, oh my God, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And of course that's Doug Corns. There's this other guy who's doing a chest roll and then he sets it out. He like, as it comes out of his hand, it goes from right side up to upside down. And then he turns around and chest rolls it back the other way. I'm like, what? That is not even possible. How can you change the angle on the chest roll? And of course that's Keith Armstrong. I start on this other jam over here because I don't want to be in the jam with those guys. But eventually, I migrate over and jam with them. The best part for me was that after the jam was over, Keith Armstrong came down and sat next to me and he says, you know, you've got really great skills and I see how uh, you do this one move and it would be so much better if you just lifted your leg, kept your knees straight, lift your leg higher and point your toes and then your move would be beautiful. Uh, and I just was like getting advice from this amazing player. How could that be possible? So it just um, made me feel really welcome to be a part of that group. Yeah, that is so interesting. That whole, you know, first time you're introduced to somebody who, you know, you're like, oh my God, they're the best. And I actually, my experience was back in, I think like, I don't know, 1978, 79, the Washington State Championships and uh, a bunch of the Vancouver Canadian guys came down. And of that, you know, there was, you know, Jim Brown and Bill King and John Anthony, kind of legends already by that time. And so I remember being this little kid, you know, very shy. And John Anthony comes over and sits down like right next to our little pod. And it's like, oh my God, John Anthony is here. And like, I just didn't even know what to say. And I felt so awkward and kind of embarrassed that I didn't, you know, know how to engage. And then, you know, he got up and left because there wasn't any conversation to be had. So I remember like going, oh God, I blew my chance to kind of get to know John Anthony. And, you know, it just kind of highlights that point of you don't realize the impact that you're having on people and, you know, to kind of, you know, maybe be more in tune with that because it really does have, you know, a lasting impression. Totally agree. I, uh, like if I'm at a tournament, I will often look out at the field and see all the different jams and find the jam that looks like it has the newest players and just go walk into that jam and play with them for a little while. And it's just with the hope that they'll feel like, okay, I, I do belong here and I want to stay here. And these people are really accepting me into the group. So with that, I just want to remind everybody the Tiny Room Challenge number four is coming up on April 24th and 25th. They have the Challenger and Junior Divisions. And on May 1st and May 2nd, we have the Pro Men and Women's Division. And it will be streamed live on frisbeeguru.com. So tune in and enjoy. And on that note, Jake, I will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Hope to Hainesville. 
shooting the frisbees and live streaming freestyle frisbee. Oh yeah!